Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Here's Zavala flying one into right. Back at the wall. It is gone. Wow, this stadium is working perfectly. <laughs> Two-run shot into right. If you're a hitter. <laughs> and it's 7-3 to three White Sox here in the fourth. Welcome back inside the clubhouse. Chicago Sports Radio 670 to score. With Bruce Levine, I am David Haw. Thank you to Fox for the Sebi Zavala highlight. And there have been a lot of those this year, Bruce. And I think that is why it's such a pleasure to talk to our next guest who joins us on the Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas Hotline, home of the world's largest sports book. And he is White Sox catcher Sebi Zavala. Good morning, Sebi. How are you? Hey, how are we doing, Bruce and Dave? Doing well. Doing well up here in Chicago. Look, let's start with bringing us inside the clubhouse last night after the 7-5 victory over the Rays, 11 innings. It had to be, it had to have been one of the most exciting victories to celebrate of the season. What was it like inside? Oh, yeah. You know, anytime you could uh, come back uh, from in the ninth down a run, uh, TA with the big home run, you know, uh, really, really got the momentum back to our side. Um, it, was, it was a great uh, team win. For you, uh, coming up uh, midseason here and uh, taking over for Grandal, joining Collins behind the plate, the moments have not gotten too big for you. Uh, you've risen to the occasion. You've had some great moments offensively. You have been solid defensively. How have you uh, settled yourself down to just the business at hand of catching these important games uh, without the emotion uh, taking over? Uh, you know, I just try to be myself. You know, any whatever I have to do to uh, help the team win that day, uh, that's what I, I come to the field ready to do. Uh, defense is uh, my main game, and, and whatever I could do with the stick uh, is just a bonus. Um, I try to put a competitive at-bats together um, so that way we can uh, get the lineup turned around to get it over to T.A. T.A.'s got, you know, that guy's made for the big moments, and anytime you can put runners on base for that guy, it should be a good uh, result. Sebi, your rise in the organization has always been tied to what they describe as, boy, but he handles the staff so well. Boy, he handles the pitchers in a way that it makes him unique. If you had to describe to somebody why you have such a good rapport with the White Sox pitchers and what makes that part of your game so strong, how would you do it? Um, I don't know. I feel like I just care for these guys a lot, you know, uh, 
half these guys I I grew up uh, through the minor leagues with, and half the guys are are, are new to me. And you know, it's, to me they're they're like family. You know, I, I I would do anything for these guys on and off the field, and uh, um, hopefully they know that. And I I just want them to be as successful as they can be uh, each and every day. You know, whatever I have to do to help them be successful, that that's that's my that's my game. White Sox catcher Sebi Zavallo joining us on Inside the Clubhouse for a few more minutes. Sebi, when you see Lucas Giolito have the versatility in his game, and as you're sitting in the coaches' meeting with you and him uh, and Katz before the game and talking about a game plan, uh, a lot of hitters have gotten used to the fact of seeing fastball changeup from Giolito, and then he has the ability uh, – once you put the fingers down to throw that slider, uh, which was devastating yesterday, how much fun mm-hmm. is it to catch a guy like that and to be able to game plan away from the predictability of what a pitcher has been and see him execute like he did last night? Yeah, you know, uh, Gio had a lot of all his pretty much all his pitches going yesterday. Um, and anytime you have uh, the pitcher has confidence to throw any one of them. Uh, in any count, you know, it's going to make it really hard for the opposing hitters, and, and that's that's pretty much what you saw yesterday. A uh, couple pitches that were left over the middle of the plate that they uh, took advantage of, but Gio was able to uh, settle down and and keep big innings uh, off the board, you know. Um, when he gave up runs, he kept it down to a one-run one inning and uh, let, uh, kept us in the game and um, was able to... Uh, Keep us in the game for our bats, um, but yeah, it's it's real fun catching Gio when he's uh, when he's got everything going, and um, it's good to see Gio back to uh, where he should be. He even mixed in a curveball or two to really confuse them. I mean, that is yeah. that is really uh, interesting on your part as well. Uh, subtly, you 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 peeked in a few curveballs. What does that do to the hitter when they're looking for the slider and the bigger break, and then they they see that other off-speed pitch yeah you know anytime we're, we're here just trying to put doubt into a hitter's head so that they don't they're not sitting on one pitch or one location so whatever we can do to mix up uh sequences or or, or whatever um we're just trying to keep the hitter off balance and and uh, as you can see geo did that uh pretty well last night Joined by White Sox catcher sebi zavala here inside the clubhouse chicago sports radio 670 the score so sebi Who's uh, more entertaining on the mound during a visit, Lance Lynn or Liam Hendricks? <laughs> uh, fortunately, I haven't had to go talk to Liam much. Uh, that'd be uh, he might he might want to kill me. Um, but uh, they're 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 both interesting in in different uh, facets. Um, but uh, you never know what you're gonna get when you go out there with both those guys. Speaking of that. A catcher has to be like a manager, a master psychologist when it comes to working with pitchers. You have some fiery dudes there, my friend, to uh, to deal yeah. with. And and you also have the luxury of catching some of the best pitchers. They, they might be fiery and quirky, but they're some of the best pitchers in baseball. Um, handling individuals and knowing uh, their games and knowing, uh, you know, what the how essential is that for a catcher? 
Uh, I think it's huge. I think, uh, like you said, we got a lot of fiery guys, so it makes my job easier. Uh, not, I don't really have to get these guys going. You know, they come in ready to go. It makes my job easy. I just have to settle them down uh, every once in a while. Um, they, I don't really have to fire up anybody. Everyone's here ready to go. Um, yeah, you know, every once in a while, I maybe just go out there, let them calm down, and then let them get back to whatever they have to do. But uh, <clears throat> like you said, this is an unbelievable staff. Um, all our starters, our whole bullpen. I mean, our whole bullpen throws over 98. It's it's very it's uh, very fun to catch. I'm sure opposing hitters and teams uh, don't look forward to us coming uh, through their city. When Craig Kimbrell comes out of a game, he wanted to stay in. To I'm sure you you give somebody like that some space. Um, Tony Larusa last night in the post game was very. Um, almost apologetic about having taken him out in that circumstance. So, uh, as a teammate, you learn to, to give each other space, do you not? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, I'm sure uh, that, that hit Craig uh, hard, and um, I mean, he's one hell of a closer, and uh, I'm sure he had a tough time with that uh, last night. I haven't really talked to him much, but. Uh, Hey, you know, Skip's got his reasons for uh, doing whatever he's got to do, and um, we all back him. Sebby, you've come up with some big hits at the plate this year for the White Sox in addition to handling the pitchers as well as you have. And yet I thought it spoke to how much confidence they have in your ability to handle the bat more the other night when they asked you to lay down a safety squeeze. It was against the A's, I think, in the first game of that series. And you did so. You executed just exactly what they wanted to do. How surprised were you that they asked you to do that in that situation, and how pleased were you with the result? Uh, honestly, as soon as uh, I think it was Goody who got him over, um, as soon as he got him over, I, I kind of had that feeling in the back of my head. You know, I'm trying to think along with Skip so that I'm actually so I don't get surprised if they give it to me and. And uh, they didn't give it to me on the first pitch, and as soon as they gave it to me the second pitch, uh, I was ready to go. Um, I was just hoping I got a good pitch to handle so that, uh, you know, I didn't give it away and I was able to put down a decent bunt on a a good good, uh, strike. So, um, you know, I had Robert at third, and I didn't really have to make it too perfect, which helps. (laughs) If I'm not mistaken... You played for, at San Diego State, one of my favorite people, not only greatest players in history, and that is Tony Gwynn. Was that, is that correct? Yeah, for uh, three years. Can you tell me a little bit about that experience and what you learned uh, from what I consider one of the greatest communicators in baseball history, not to, not to mention his Hall of Fame career in the you know, the the great things that he did on the field. Yeah. Um, to start off, uh, Gwen, Gwen was just an awesome person to hang out with. Just, like, take baseball out of it. He, he was an amazing person to talk to, um, cared about his players, cared about the people around him, cared about the uh, uh, university. Um, he loved San Diego, and uh, you, could, you could see it. Um, things that I've learned – it's it's uh you can't count the things that he he taught you you know um one of the one of the great things was uh when I had Tommy John in, at San Diego State he would eat his lunch in the dugout and um uh, 
every day I'd make an effort to get there early if I could just to hang out with him while he was eating lunch and, and just talk to him. And it was great because uh, it wasn't always about baseball. You know, he wanted to learn about you. He wanted to learn about your family. And we had a lot of good uh, talks in the dugout, and I'll, I'll be able to hold on to those uh, for, forever. Final couple minutes here with Sebi Zavala here on Chicago Sports Radio 670, the score. Sebi, got to ask you about this. Last night during the broadcast, during Crochet's inning, seemed like he was getting squeezed a little bit. And, and Gordon Beckham in the booth said that, boy, there might be times when a catcher turns around to the home plate umpire, like Paul Clemens in this case, and says, oh, you might have missed that one, or, or, or talks to him in a way that helps you get the next call. How much of that dialogue is reality, and were you tempted, or did, did something go on last night uh, during that inning specifically? Uh, nothing specific happened, but, yeah, you know, there's always a dialogue going back and forth throughout the game. Um, I tried to uh, talk to the umpires as much as possible. I mean, we have to work with each other not only uh, that day, but I'm sure uh, later on in that year. So you can't really uh, get into his ear that much. But, you know, there's, there's always a dialogue back and forth, uh, asking him what he saw and, and what I think. And, and uh, me and Paul, I've actually worked a lot together in the minor league. So um, there's a good uh, conversation going on that inning. But, um, uh, yeah, that that. That uh, dialogue is is very important to make sure we keep the game running uh, as smooth as possible. So uh, every kid growing up, uh, I'm sure you're no exception, uh, plays in the backyard or uh, at the at the uh, corner with his friends and dreams about hitting uh, home runs in a baseball, a major league baseball game. You hit three in one night. What was that? about for you not only during but afterwards uh, just uh, accomplishing something uh, to help your team win which was essential but uh, for a guy that's not known as a big home run hitter to have a magic night like that uh, it, was, it was real fun um, I was happy it happened I was happy um, it all turned out <clears throat> real well uh, my family was able to enjoy it uh, probably a little bit more than I was, um, but uh, you know it was fun. I was, I enjoyed the night. I soaked it in that night, and I kind of forgot about it the next day until everybody uh, started asking me questions about it, and then the next day I'd forget about it, and then they'd talk about it again. And um, yeah, but it, it, it was fun. I'm happy it happened, and I'm sure uh, in the off season I'll be able to think about it and enjoy it a little bit more. Sebi, Yasmani Grundal has recovered quickly. He is expected back as early as next week. We know that in his absence, you have stepped forward and made yourself a very valuable part of this team. How much thought have you given to what your role will be when he comes back, and what do you expect? Uh, I've put zero thought into that. Um, we got a game coming up here in two hours, so I'm, that's the only thing I'm really thinking about right now. Uh, We'll cross that bridge when it comes. But uh, whatever the team wants me to do, that, that's that's what I'll continue to do. That sounds like a guy that had Tony Gwynn as his manager and has Tony LaRussa now as a manager. Sebi, uh, David and I really appreciate you uh, taking some time out today. It's been a pleasure watching you and getting to know you. Uh, we wish you the best of success going forward, and we'll see you out at the ballpark, okay? All right. Thank, thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Right. Sebi Zavala, thank you very much. The White Sox fine catcher.
Bruce, he has had a kind of season, maybe unexpected contribution from a guy who has stepped forward with the injury to Grandal. I didn't expect that the Sox would be in a position to rely upon him to the degree that they are. Here we are in late August. Well, you look at the uh, the idea that he might be a 220 hitter, but then you point out being able to do the little things. Uh, you know, as we talked about, trained by Tony Gwynn to be able to concentrate pitch to pitch and game to game, not get distracted by a comment about a, a three home run game and uh, not, not even being able to enjoy it all that much because he's thinking about the next day. That's championship type thinking, David. Uh, that's what you like to hear from a guy that seamlessly took over uh, the majority of the catching, uh, even more than Collins catches now, uh, and uh, and is willing to uh, just what see what happens happen uh, when Grandal comes back. There is a place on this Chicago White Sox team for uh, Sebi Zavala. He is Bruce Levine. I'm David Haw, and we are talking baseball until 11 o'clock inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score. We're back with more Inside the Clubhouse with Bruce Levine and David Haw on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, a radio.com sports station presented by Bet Rivers Sportsbook. Gave up, you know, the solo homers, which is, you know, one of those things you try to live with a little bit. Um, looked like um, Sal Perez went down and got that first one, like was pretty good piece of hitting. Um, down there, then fell behind to him the second time, gave in 3-0 um, in, in, in that situation. Um, you know, what was it, four solo home runs? Uh, we weren't able to push across that third run early on. Um, yeah, I thought I threw pretty good. Welcome back inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score, I'm David Hall with Bruce Levine. That was David Ross, post-game Friday after the 6-2 loss to the Royals, the Cubs 11th straight at Wrigley Field. Bruce, David Ross took one question. That was the only interest in that game. Waning interest in that team. Boy, today, uh, the Cubs tried to I had nothing the... to ask, David. <laughs> I, I I'm not blaming to... you, Bruce. I'm complimenting I mean, uh, you. I, I, I had, you know, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you flat out what I was thinking, okay? Okay, yeah. Da- David Ross, you know, has lost him and his team has lost 11 straight games at yeah. home. They're coming off. They just came off of a 12 game losing streak. Um, they, um, they made some bad mistakes all in one inning that looked really sloppy. You know, the unfortunate, uh, situation with Hap, uh, driving in what it looked like two runs and turned out to be one run as he tripped going past first base and fell down and uh, got thrown out from right on a throw to the first baseman before that second one run actually scored um, there. It just within that realm right there, um, the relief pitcher not watching the man at second base and they, they create a double steal. Um, the fact that, um, you know, uh, David Bowie wasn't able to get back to first base on a coverage on a, uh, on a, on a bunt play. Uh, this was all within, you know, the framework of one inning. And I, I just didn't think, uh, I was going to get anything out of David Ross by asking him about that after that situation. 
I'm per, I prefer to talk to him today and tomorrow about those things. You know, to make sense. To, yeah, to, and to get information for people out there uh, of the thought process and the teaching process, not when you're sitting there uh, after another loss and you know on a Zoom call you're not going to get the most out of a guy when uh, in person you can ask him these things and you can get much better information. The Cubs are 4-19 and since their last victory at Wrigley Field. That was July 26th, Javi Baez off Amir Garrett, we all remember that because it seems like even longer ago than July 26th. This has been a stretch of futility unlike few others in Cubs history. If they lose today, they tie the, the record that was set in 1994. That team was headed nowhere. This team, where is it headed, Bruce? Keegan Thompson on the mound today. This week the Cubs were yeah. announced as part of the ne- next year's Field of Dreams game against the Cincinnati Reds in 2022. Will we want to even look at the Cubs? Will they have a team worth showing off to America next August in Dyersville, Iowa? Is that going to be an embarrassment or something to celebrate? No, no. I Look, I, I choose to look at like today as a big day for Cub fans and their future. Because you have a young pitcher that came through their organization. I'll repeat that, David. A young pitcher, starting pitcher, that has come through their organization. Somebody with a good, somebody that has done well in the bullpen already this year to go along with Justin Steele. Uh, Alzale has shown good signs, even though it's been clunky for him this year. Those are three pitchers coming through the Cub minor league system as starters that have a chance. It's the first time you've been able to say that about the Cubs in 10 years. Okay, so that is a very positive thing to look at. Do I know that uh, Keegan Thompson or uh, Justin Steele are going to be 15-game winners? No, I don't know that. What I do know is that both show good arms. Both did very well in the bullpen. Both went back to AAA as part of the plan to become starting pitchers again, and both are arriving at Wrigley Field now for these next five and a half weeks or five weeks to display what they can do going toward 2021, so 22 rather. So I would say that's a very positive thing if Cub fans want to watch the ascension of these young guys and see what they really have going toward the future. If your 2022 rotation is Hendricks, Alzali, Steele, Thompson and Braylon Marquez is that a rotation that is contending or does that one that screams rebuilding I think it screams rebuilding Bruce well it, it is rebuilding if you have that you're already rebuilding aren't you if you have that uh, yeah but rotation. Tom Rick has said next year they want to contend for the division title yeah well you're you're leaving out a possible free agent pitcher or two uh, if you plug in two free agent pitchers uh, of worth do you feel differently about the the team's possible success with those young arms in the organization coming through just good questions good there. base yeah exactly good baseball conversation Bruce. i mean i don't think time. do you do you see anything before we bring in uh colin faulkner uh, of the uh, cubs the executive uh, uh vice president of sales and marketing do you see anything in the in the cubs ownership dna that says they don't want to win I think everybody wants to win, Bruce, uh, but I think that's a bigger conversation 
because the actions since last December make it a worthwhile debate. And you can make points and argue both sides of the ledger where I don't think it's just you can take it at face value that the answer is a resounding yes. Because I don't know how you reconcile a resounding yes with the decision to salary dump you Darvish. So I think that's a broader question that, frankly, we'll get back well, to. But right now, I think yeah, you have to just before you do just remember 2020, which is uh, people are forgetting about. And the fact that the Cubs, the Yankees, and Dodgers, the Cubs lost about $135 million, okay? I know uh, fans don't really care about that now. I don't, I don't know if media people do. But dealing with that reality is part of a situation of going forward rather than backward. Our next guest joins us on the guest hotline brought to you by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book, and that is where we find the Cubs Senior Vice President of Marketing and Sales, Colin Faulkner. Good morning, Colin. How are you? Hey, guys. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining us. Let's start with the uh, function this week at Wrigley Field. It's been a source of a lot of conversation, some criticism. I'm sure that you're aware of it. You do a nice job of staying plugged into to what people say about the Cubs. As a marketing executive, how would you explain what I think could be awkward timing of having a celebration at Wrigley Field in the midst of such a stretch of futility? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, obviously pay attention to to what people are saying and what the news is out there. I mean, the, the event this uh, week was, you know, one that we had been planning for several years, and it was really – you know, the culmination of, of the end of the project. And as much as everybody would like to forget uh, 2020, as you guys uh, just referenced, um, you know, the plan was obviously to have this um, in, in 2020 and we had a pandemic and weren't able to, you know, unveil the Cubs Hall of Fame uh, and, and celebrate the completion of the project. So, you know, the, the project to save Wrigley Field, you know, went over a number of years. And, you know, the end of that project was really, um, you know, the pageantry um, and uh, wayfinding signage and all the kind of icing on the cake at the end. And, and one of those things was, you know, the Cubs Hall of Fame. And um, we had been working on that for several years. Uh, and, and the time to unveil it was, was really last season. So we had, we had all the work done, all the plaques made and, and everything leading up to, to last season. And, and the plan was to unveil it. And obviously we didn't get the chance. And, you know, people were critical of, of the timing of doing it now. But um, this was really about recognizing um, people that not only worked on the project as, as, as the completion of the 1060 project, but also unveiling this, this Cubs Hall of Fame. And so while the timing is not ideal when you're, you know, losing 12 games in a row, um, we also didn't think uh, the right thing to do was wait another year to do it. So. Uh, understand the the criticism, but we really wanted to recognize um, not only the the Cubs Hall of Fame, but also the folks that worked on the project. And uh, Colin, ex- extending uh, the situation to uh, the the people that are still around with us, uh, the legends uh, being there, you know, the Fergie Jenkins and the uh, Lee Smiths and the Ryan Sandbergs and the Andre Dawsons. Um, you know, Billy Williams certainly is a big part of this. I remember, uh, you know, John McDonough many years ago when he was the marketing director of the uh, Cubs before he took over the Blackhawks, talking about the fact that uh, 
the, the lifeblood of the, the Cub history helped carry them uh, for a lot of years when they weren't doing well because of the fact that um, the great history of this franchise goes back 145 years. Uh, I wonder, I wonder uh, what your thoughts are um, you know, when you see some of these downtimes now, and certainly you had a few of them before the rebuild, and, uh, and kind of getting through it knowing uh, that the Cub fans are there for you and uh, the history of the Cub franchise is there for you as well. Well, I mean, first and foremost, we want to win. I mean, the, the, best, the best marketing and the best experience that we can give our fans is winning baseball. And, you know, fortunately, over the last several years, we've been able to give them, um, you know, a, a World Series and a lot of winning baseball. And that, that truly is the best marketing. And, and that's our goal. And, and I know that's um, the goal of, you know, Tom and Jed and, and everybody else is we want to win baseball games and we want to put a winning product uh, back on the field. And that's what, that, that's what everybody's dedicated to and working towards. Um, when we on the marketing side can't always control the, the product on the field necessarily. And so we're, we are very fortunate that we've got um, an incredible fan base um, who, who, you know, spans generations and are, are the best fans in the world. Unfortunately, it's why we saved the ballpark is we've got this, this asset, um, this, you know, cathedral in Wrigley field that, that draws people. Um, and so really saving the ballpark was, was incredibly important to us because it's so meaningful to everyone. Um, and, you know, to your point about, you know, John and, and marketing, you know, history, we're, we're very fortunate to, to be able to have that history. You know, the Miami Marlins don't have uh, the history that, that the Cubs have. And, and in fact, we've had um, a Hall of Fame, you know, back in, in the 80s, uh, and we had a Walk of Fame back in the 90s. And so, you know, we, we went with Ed Hardig, our historian, uh, who's just incredible. And, and we looked back at how we've honored folks in the past, and we wanted to come up with a new recognition system that, that made a lot of sense um, and kind of uh, fixed some of the, the piecemeal things that we have done in the past, whether it was who gets a flag, you know, on, on – uh, Wrigley Field foul pole, who gets their jersey retired, who gets a statue, um, who's in the in the walk of you know uh, bricks outside, who's in the in the Hall of Fame. So, you know that that was important to us. Um, that was very important to us, and um, you know we we brought this together, and we're, we're just so fortunate to have that history, to have those Hall of Famers here, um, you know, for for the ceremony on Thursday. We're we're just fortunate to have have those folks there and so um, we are fortunate that we're able to lean into the marketing of um, you know the ballpark and the experience at the ballpark and, and coming to the ballpark and and yes there there are days when we do not win the baseball game uh, but it's still possible to leave with a with a smile on your face uh, because you had a great experience and those smiles get a lot bigger when the team's winning and playing well and and those are the days that we're focused on getting back to Colin, and knowing the market as well as you do, as well as anybody, you know that one of the biggest conversation pieces uh, when the Cubs have a Hall of Fame, not necessarily the 56 guys who went in, but the one who didn't. Sammy Sosa, notable by his absence. Can you just describe or characterize those conversations as far as what to do about the Sammy Sosa issue and and whether or not the door is open, uh, even just a, a crack or a crevice for him to one day enter? 
Yeah, uh, I mean, it's, it's a question that, that a lot of people asked on Thursday and, and certainly you know, one that we're, we're keenly aware of. You know, the criteria that we set out for the Cubs Hall of Fame was, you know, we, we enshrined, you know, the previous version of the Cubs Hall of Fame that ran from 82 to 86. We enshrined um, the previous Walk of Fame that ran from 92 to 98. We included recent Cubs that went into the National Baseball Hall of Fame. And then we included uh, Margaret Donahue, who was, you know, MLB's first female officer outside of ownership. We, we dedicated a park to her back in 2015, and we thought it was only appropriate that she would be in that, in that Cubs Hall of Fame. You know, the criteria that we set out for being elected to the Cubs Hall of Fame was that you had to have five-plus years as a Cub, or you had to make a significant contribution to the organization. So it could include um, non-players. And, you know, so based on that criteria, uh, Sammy Sosa and a lot of other people will certainly, you know, be eligible um, to be elected into the Hall of Fame. What we're working on now is, is putting together, um, you know, a committee and a process of, of people that will be part of that decision. It'll be, you know, external folks outside the organization, um, internal folks, um, Certainly, we would we'd probably want to include Ed Hardig, our historian, and others. Um, and then we'll put a process in place. Um, you know, but to answer the question, you know, based on the criteria we've we've set out um, to be elected, he would certainly fit the criteria. And then from there, I think it's just uh, the process that that we put together for um, you know a committee and so forth, and 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 then go from there. And that and we'll do that this fall. So we'll convene that group this fall, and and we'll put that that committee and that process in place, um, and then and then see where it leads. Colin Faulkner uh, with us for a few more minutes. He is the executive vice president of sales and marketing for the Chicago Cubs. Colin, we heard about the Field of Dreams and uh, the Cubs and Reds next August. That's uh, that's great news. What about an All Star game? It's been since 1990. The commissioner was asked uh, by a few of my uh, colleagues about uh, whether or not they're getting an all-star game. It was kind of an up-in-the-air answer. But, you know, after 33, you know, after, you know, 32 or 33 years, uh, the Cub fans certainly deserve it. Does a lot of that have to do with the uh, city of Chicago and, uh, and what's going on with the city at that point as well? Yeah, I think, you know, now that the, the project to save the ballpark is, is finished, um, we would certainly love to show off the ballpark to the world. And, and the best way to do that is is host an all-star game and, and the attention that it brings to to not only Wrigley Field, but also to the city of Chicago. And, and to your point, um, it's, it's been a long time since we've hosted one. Uh, and I think we, we would certainly love to do that. Um, you know, but a lot of other teams would too. And, and there's a lot of other teams building um, new ballparks that are, that are funded by, um, you know, taxpayers in, in those cities, whether it's, you know, Atlanta or Texas or other places. And everybody else wants an all-star game too. So we are competing against other cities. Um, and, you know, Major League Baseball, you know, often rewards um, those cities who are the, you know, the beneficiaries of these all-star games. Um, who have invested in their park. So that, that's probably the biggest hurdle that we have to face is um, we're going to need some, you know, help from the city. And, and there's also a lot that goes on with hosting an all-star game outside of, you know, did the city help you, you know, finance your 
construction of your ballpark, which obviously in our case was, was a no, but when the all-star game comes, there's a lot of support that's needed around, you know, closing of streets and, you know, additional resources um, from the city just to pull off the logistics of that many people coming to town. So um, I, I think we're, you know, talking um, about how that would look like for us and, and we would certainly need the support um, of the city to, to make that happen and we need to make a good case with Major League Baseball, and I think everybody wants it to happen, and so um, hopefully we can work towards that end. It would be an incredible showcase for our fans um, uh, and, and of Wrigley Field, and, and our hope is that that happens in the next couple of years. So let me get this right. Uh, because the Ricketts family paid for this without public help or state or county help, out of their pocket, they're being punished. Is that is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. Is that... I, I would just say that, you know, generally um, the the city benefits um, from the all-star game in the form of, you know, additional hotel nights and taxes and, and so course. forth. And so, and so certainly, you know, major league million baseball, dollars. Yeah. Right. So certainly I think major league baseball likes to, likes to reward the, those um, cities that, that help the ballparks. And so that wasn't our case, but it, it doesn't mean that we don't want to host an all-star game and we shouldn't host an all-star game. We, we should host an all-star game. And, and we, we want to bring that to our fans um, because it's a great, a great showcase um, for baseball and for the Cubs and for Wrigley Field. And so, you know, we're working towards that. And I think, you know, we're closer um, probably than we've been in the past. Um, and there's a couple years open coming up. Um, and we're certainly pushing um, to, to get that done. Colin, thanks for your time this morning. Uh, best of luck the rest of the way with all your projects. Guys, thanks so much for having me. Appreciate Colin Faulkner, thanks, the Colin. senior vice president of sales and marketing for the Chicago Cubs, usually a pretty good job. Now a very difficult one, Bruce, reconciling everything and, and trying to balance uh, looking ahead with, with uh, the product on the field, which is nothing really quite to look yeah. at. I don't, I don't think the punishment for uh, for paying for an entire ballpark uh, out of out of your own pocket. Uh, it's kind of contrary to what what I would expect to hear, where you know you are rewarded for not asking the city, the taxpayers, the county uh, for help building a rebuilding a ballpark and spending a billion dollars to uh, to build up the Lakeview area. I I still don't get it, but maybe you can help explain because I did go to Chicago Public Schools and uh, Southern Illinois University, so I I might need a little bit of help along the way. Bruce, I went to Indiana Public Schools and an Indiana State University for undergrad, so I will definitely the blind will lead the blind, I guess. You know, it's, I, <laughs> I don't know that uh, I will help, but we will try, or we will just argue for our final segment. We still have a little bit more to talk about here inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio six seven to score. We're back with more Inside the Clubhouse with Bruce Levine and David Haw on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, a radio.com sports station presented by Bet Rivers Sportsbook. It's time for some chin music. Hey, yeah. How about a warning? Sure. Watch out you don't get killed. 
because sometimes in baseball, you've got to send a strong message, especially when someone has it coming. Each Saturday, David and Bruce come in high and tight with a response to something that deserves one, like this. They're going to check the hat and the glove. That's Nick Lentz, the third base umpire, walking over. Now you're going to watch at some point. I believe somebody gets thrown out of the game right there. And, oh, you know what it was? That might have been Lance Lynn's belt. Yep, it's on the warning track. The, the bat boy picked up the belt. And now Tony arguing Lance's case. I think Lance got kicked out. Lance got kicked out. That is not a particularly good break. We'll take a look at the bullpen. And Lance can't believe it. Welcome back inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio 670, the score. Thank you, NBC Sports Chicago, Len Casper, Steve Stone, describing our chin music uh, segment, uh, describing what happened to create this segment the other night when Nick Lentz, the umpire, was not walking over Bruce, uh, dawdling over to the White Sox dugout. Got not under moving Lance fast Lentz. enough for you, David? No. Lance Lynn had every right to be ticked off. I don't know that I would throw my belt at an umpire. I think he probably deserved that ejection once he did that. But that, to me, come on. If there's a process involved, let's execute the process. They were taking their own sweet time. Look, if you want to get off the field, you walk over to the umpire and you uh, let him disrobe you, and then you uh, go <laughs> in and take care of your business. The, the truth of the matter was is that he was very, very – frustrated by having a, a clunky performance four innings his his innings his uh, pitch count was way up anyway he was likely coming out after four innings anyway and uh, his think? frustration uh, manifested itself by the umpire not coming quickly enough over to check what is one of the dumbest uh, shakedowns I've ever seen in my life you know I mean it's it's uh, it's it's a joke. The umpires even think it's a joke. You know, most of the time checking these guys' hats and belts uh, and gloves for foreign substances. Where is that headed, Bruce? What do you envision 2022 looking like if we're talking about the sticky substance check? Because you know what? I think if you look at overall across baseball, the crackdown is working. It's getting the desired result. It's just the process that's clunky. Yeah, I don't know about that. I mean, there's been cheating using substance on baseballs for 145 years. Uh, the spitball uh, was banned in uh, 1920 or something like that, 1930. Um, they, um, at the time, the guys that were still throwing it were allowed to throw it until their careers were over, if you can believe that or not. Uh, they were still able to use that pitch. And uh, it's always, you know... Pitchers are always going to cheat. They're always going to use a little something extra. Batters are going to try to cheat. They're always uh, going to put a little bit more pine tar on the bat or cork a bat. Uh, I mean, it's just, you know, the old expression in baseball is uh, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. And, uh, you know, it's an overstatement because most of the players do not cheat and they're not, uh, they're not using things that they shouldn't. But that, that's just a part of the game. I, I think – because of the fact that hitting became so uh, impossible and spin rates became so electric that uh, Major League Baseball thought they had to put a warning out there. I think this is a, a very good warning 
but taking it to the level of uh, checking a guy's belt and hat and, um, you know, I, I just, I, I, I don't too much. see it. You know, I mean, yeah. it's too, it, it is too much. And, and it's, it's not fair to the pitcher that's trying to keep a mentality like Lynn coming out of the game uh, and, and uh, having to face it. That's the music. That means we got to get out of here. There's a big right-hander on the mound. There's a big right-hander in town. People are waiting to see throw. And, yeah, it's not just Justin Fields. Keegan Thompson on the hill for the Cubs. Dallas Keuchel throwing for the Sox. Bruce, this was a fun show. Thank you, Brandon Fryer. Thank you, Frank Schwindel. Thank you, Sebi Zavala. Thank you, Colin Faulkner. And people can follow me on Twitter at MLB Bruce Levine. Also, right on our website, Cubs and Sox, every day at 670thescore.com. David, have a great week. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Bruce, and thank you for listening inside the clubhouse right here on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. We all agree that reducing carbon emissions is a good thing. And once again, Toyota is leading the way. We hear a lot about fully electric vehicles, and Toyota has them, with more coming in. But we also know a BEV is not for everyone, whether it's because of cost, range, or concern about finding a charging station when you need it. Plus, the raw materials used to manufacture batteries are limited. Enter Beyond Zero, Toyota's vision for a carbon-neutral future in vehicles, and in manufacturing plants, too, in the years ahead. The materials used to make just one long-range battery for an EV could be used to make batteries for six plug-in hybrids or 90 gas-electric hybrids. That's why Toyota's position today is electrified, diversified, empowering you to choose how to reduce your own carbon footprint with the vehicle that's right for you, a hybrid, plug-in hybrid, or battery EV. So shop, learn more, and get details at toyota.com slash beyond zero. Toyota, let's go places.